0: Uh, when I saw the brochures came out, uh, I have to confess, Father Peter, I thought shades of Arrowhead Springs. Uh, but for, really, it's been a beautiful experience. Uh, this, this place is a beautiful experience, isn't it? Uh, we've had a wonderful facility, and uh, the whole atmosphere has been a, a tremendously exciting atmosphere for us. And I thank God for the work that Father Peter has done in preparing for this and all those that have helped him, all of you uh, here in Isla Vista and Galita area that have worked so hard because it wouldn't be possible without your help, uh, as as I said yesterday morning. Well, I mentioned this place. I don't know if you know it or not, but uh, this uh, place was recently sold, these Francisco Torres sold to the uh, Japanese for something like $30 million. So it's uh, certainly a very nice place, and uh, we can be thankful for this facility. And speaking of the Japanese, that reminds me of Father John Braun. Uh, (laughs) uh, Father John has been forgetting all week that I was going to be the last one on the schedule.
1: (laughs) I might talk about loyalty.
0: And... I, I, He has a very carefully guarded secret, and of course only a few of us know this secret, but he's very much older than he usually tells people.
1: <laughs>
0: well, he's so old that he was actually a Navy pilot in World War II. And I, I will tell you something about his uh, war experiences. When he was uh drafted in and came into the navy as uh they, they put him in officer's training and he became a, a lieutenant. <laughs> That's great. Get a picture of him like that. Get him from a side view, please, yes.
1: <laughs>
0: He'll kill you from that. Point of day. He'll kill me too, I'm sure. But anyway, he was drafted into the service, and they put him in officer's candidate school and uh, made him a second lieutenant pilot. And, uh, but they found out he had a terrible time learning to fly. And there was just one mistake after the other, one mistake after the other. And uh, finally, they even paved a new airstrip and said, you use this one, we'll use the others. Just to, just to make sure that uh, that you don't bomb a hole in the thing or, or crash on the thing and and then cause the rest of us trouble. Anyway, he finally got his pilot's training behind him, and uh, they assigned him to uh, to an aircraft carrier. And that was a real trick landing on an aircraft carrier, uh, but uh, he he finally mastered it after several attempts and sent him off to the South Pacific where the war got thick and the the captain of the aircraft carrier was very reluctant to send him up because uh, they were afraid that anything could go wrong You'd, you know he really had a bad time learning to fly so in one battle after another Father John then J- Lieutenant John had to sit uh, in the ready room waiting while all the rest of the pilots went out to fly <laughs> and uh he uh he couldn't go flying well uh finally one day everybody'd been sent out but lieutenant john and so the the captain came in and said well John, he says he says the worst has happened we're going to have to send you up <laughs> but he says when you take off remember we're the we're your friends not your enemies and when you drop your bombs don't drop them on top of us and and uh, lieutenant john said Captain, I promise you nothing will go wrong this time. It's going to be perfect. I will do it right. And so off he goes into the wild blue. Uh, he hadn't been flying very long until he saw a Japanese Zero at uh, 9 o'clock. And so he wheels around and uh, shoots him down. thing goes down in flames. And he said, Man, that worked. And then he went on and uh, he... He saw another zero at 1 o'clock and he shot it down. And then in a little while, he shot another one. He went on until he had shot down, believe this or not, Lieutenant John Braun, a double ace. (laughs) And so he's feeling real good about himself, not one mistake. And he's flying back to the aircraft carrier and he does a couple of lazy eights and some chantils, you know, just (laughs) proving he could really handle the plane. And he's, he sees his carrier, he lines up with the wind, brings that thing in, drops it on, on the deck, and the the cable catches the plane, jerks it to a stop, and he says, I've got to be humble about this. So he, that's hard for him to do, but anyway, he... <laughs> he opened the, the cockpit and jumped out and just dropped his eyes to the flight deck and walked up to the captain and said, Captain, you won't believe this, but he says, I have... I have shot down 10 Japanese zeroes today and not one mistake. And the captain said, oh, so yet? you make a one, be mistake. <laughs> it didn't really happen quite that way, but I'm gonna tell something that really did happen. Now this next story really happened. <laughs> we were having a conference in Indianapolis. Now you have to understand. See, I mean, this man was wise enough one day to uh, to take a picture of my beautiful, intelligent, humble, submissive uh, daughter to to his very intelligent son. And, and my daughter is this. She's not opinionated. She's just one of these. <laughs> Very, uh, this is my daughter right over here, by the way. Anyway, Father John was smart enough to, to, to hook those two up, and here they are. They're married, got four kids. You would think that a man like that would not do what he did on this particular day. I mean, here we are supposed to be friends. I'm talking about close friends. And we had come out of a conference in Indianapolis at some college there, and we were walking down the sidewalk, and it just rained. And there was this big puddle of water on the sidewalk, and without any warning, me and my naivete and humble spirit, you know, not expecting anything from from my brother, he he jumps up there and slams his foot down in this puddle of water and just sprays me with water and I mean laughed you know, real big. I said, "I can't believe you, you and you can't be that mean." I found out he is, but so so we, uh, an hour later, we're driving down the street. Now this really happened. I'm telling you the truth. We're, we're going down the street in Indianapolis, and there's a huge dump truck that's coming down the street the opposite way. And uh, Father John seated in the back seat. And I'm seated in the back seat, and the driver was uh, in the uh, with had his window down. This dump truck hits a pothole full of water. And this wall of water comes gushing through the window and hits him right in the face. Even in the mouth, because as usual, his mouth was open. Enough. I want to tell you, it was, it was the most fantastic experience for me. I, I was rejoicing. I have even thought about proposing it, that we put it on the calendar, the Feast of Divine Retribution, or something like that. (laughs) Well, we better leave the ridiculous and come to the sublime. It really has been a wonderful time here together, and uh, I personally feel extremely uh, rejuvenated, and thank God for it. I thank God for the privilege of uh, getting to know some of you better than I've known you before and others of you that I'd never known before. And somehow I feel that a camaraderie has been built among us that will go on for years to come. Uh, My hope is that we'll we'll have another one of these here next year, not just the one at Antiochian Village. You know, I'm going to lobby for that anyway and uh, maybe have some advanced classes or something. But I, I believe that this has been a historic and historic experience for us. I believe as we've all felt that God has been in this. This is, the, this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes, as the Scripture says. And we have much to thank him for. And I believe that we are stepping across a, across a threshold that we can never retrace. A door has opened that will never be closed. God is doing something in our midst that is very special, and we're very privileged to be a part of it. I was assigned the topic, and I hope I can read it in this light tonight, uh, open season in North America, and I do believe it's open season in North America, and uh, hopefully We'll go forth from this place really believing that we're part of the, the team that's going to, to, to do the job of reaching this country. I love the idea. The hunting season is open and we must go out as the, as the hounds of heaven to hunt those whom the Holy Spirit has prepared to embrace the Orthodox faith. To change the metaphor a little bit, we must become true fishers of men and with apostolic fervor once again fish the universe, but in particular fished the North, Amer- uh, North America for Christ and his holy church. But to reach North America, and of course that includes not only the United States but Canada as well, there are several requirements that we must meet. We've already covered these this week, and I'm not going to say anything that hasn't already been said at least a half dozen times. But let me summarize some of these things in these closing remarks. First of all, to reach North America with the Orthodox faith, we must have a sense of mission. Father Peter made that so clear to us uh, this afternoon. He gave us, uh, he read to us a passage that I think All of us who came out of the EOC background feel very... uh, It it, it warms our hearts very much. Let me reread it to you. It's called the Great Commission. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, beginning, beginning in verse 18, "...all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And the promise is that as we are going, and actually it is the present active participle, I believe, for those uh, Greek scholars, it, it, it's something that's expected of us. As we are going, We are to evangelize. We are to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all things which Christ taught us. And then he promised, I will be with you to the end of the age. We don't have to be afraid of going alone. We don't have to be afraid that we'll forget some of the things we've learned this week. And maybe we might do it wrong because the Holy Spirit has promised that that Christ will be with us. We need this sense of mission that God has given to us. When I was a young Baptist pastor, I somehow, for reasons I'm not sure, got almost obsessed with the Great Commission, and I used to preach on it and teach on it. And I remember the last year that I was a Baptist pastor, uh, I had been given the assignment of being the associational Uh, director of evangelism for the Greater Dayton Association in uh, Dayton, Ohio area. And I was constantly preaching on the fulfillment of the Great Commission in this generation. And a man came along, who at that time was a Baptist evangelist, and uh, said, "You you need to meet Bill Bright and learn about Campus Crusade for Christ. Well, I had no idea who that was, and I certainly had no interest in a campus crusade for Christ. I was a Baptist, been brought up a Baptist all my life, six first cousins, Baptist preachers. I mean, you're certainly not going to be interested in some parachurch or interdenominational ministry. But he kept hammering away at me. He says, well, I'm going to call Bill and just tell him to write you and send you some stuff. And in a little while, I got a letter from Dr. Bright. And... It, the, the way he signed the letter is what captivated my mind. He said, yours for fulfilling the great commission in this generation. And I said, man, somebody else is thinking about this too. And then the next thing I know, this fellow uh, called Peter Gilquist and uh, told Peter, he said, you need to meet this man. He's, he's a candidate for Campus Crusade staff. And Father Peter got on a train came down to Columbus, Ohio, and we rendezvoused there. And I watched in uh, totally agog, amazed, as he went first to the SAE house, I believe it was, and talked to the president about Christ. You know, just right out in front of God and everybody, he's talking about Christ, to this president of the fraternity. And I'm standing there saying, this can't be, you know. First of all, I had never, I was a country boy, still am, and I had never been any place where there were so many students as there was at Ohio State University. Uh, the college I went to was a small college. I think we had about 1,100 or 1,200 students when I graduated. And to walk onto a campus that had over 50,000 students on it and to follow Peter Gilchrist around as he talked to one student after another about Christ blew me away. And I said, whatever this outfit is, I want to get involved with it. And the thing he kept talking about was the fulfilling of the Great Commission in this generation, the fulfillment of the Great Commission in this generation. And that captured my heart because I was already, I had already been using that phrase. I didn't even know another Baptist pastor who had ever talked about fulfilling the, the Great Commission in this generation. Now, what we have learned, by the way, since we've come into orthodoxy is that the apostles did that (laughs) and the early church did that, but the fact is, brothers and sisters, this is our generation. And we can't fall back on the laurels of the past and say they did it back then. It's our turn to fulfill the Great Commission in this generation. And may God give us the vision, the sense of mission, that we must, we, it's not just a matter of it being a nice thing to do or we might multiply the number of people in our parish. We are under a divine imperative to go out and take the holy orthodox faith to the whole world and to our world in particular. We cannot escape the Great Commission and the mission that's been given to us. And so we have got to accept this as our own. We must reach our world for Christ, and we must accept the fact that this vision is not an easy one to fulfill. This mission is not an easy mission to accomplish. Let's be realistic about it. It will mean that there will be hardship and heartache, suffering and travail and rejection and downright persecution if we go at it seriously. I I hate to sound a little bit pessimistic there, but that's just the reality. It will happen. You'll go back to your parish and people that you thought you could count on, they will turn against you and say, you're nuts. You have brought that bunch of fanatical campus crusaders philosophy back here. That's not orthodox. And uh, you'll have people that you thought would support you in trying to promote evangelistic effort and missionary effort in your parish who will stand against you. You may even have your own parents, your own husband, your own wife stand against you. Because Jesus Christ promised that that would happen. And St. Paul said, They that live godly shall suffer persecution." there will be hardship involved in fulfilling this mission. But it didn't stop the apostles in the first century. Why should it stop us? We need to commit ourselves to that mission. And then to reach North America with the Orthodox faith, we must have a grasp of the message. And I I would like to recommend something to you. You get that tape that Father Richard brought last night and listen to it over and over and over. This is the honest truth. This is how I learned a whole lot of what I know. I would listen to these guys out here as they were teaching in the academy. I'd get some of their tapes and I'd listen to their tapes because I was just a Baptist preacher that had become a campus crusader. Orthodoxy was a totally foreign thing to me and to learn this whole, this theology that we've begun to fall into and struggle with did not come easy for me. In fact, uh, I I would love to have had a grand conversion. Mine came in little increments, little bitty conversions until one day on Father Jack's uh, patio, I remember remarking, I think, to Father John, you know, I don't know when it happened, but I finally gave up the fight. <laughs> I just started believing it, and it became a wonderful thing for me. And that happened with respect to Mary. It happened with respect to the Orthodox Church. Oh, there were so many things we'd been struggling with in those days. In the ancient church, true theology, was you, you did not do theology unless you could preach and teach about the Holy Trinity and the Incarnation. If you do not understand at least something about the doctrines that have been handed to us by the fathers in these subjects, then don't go around talking about theology. (laughs) Don't go preaching the Bible yet. You need those foundational doctrines. We must have a grasp of the orthodox message. And that means we must make the sacrifices of diligent study and work and time to grasp this Message. It means reading Father Alexander Schmemann, Callistus Ware, St. Gregory Palamas, St. John of Damascus, St. Athanasius, St. Basil the Great, St. Gregory of Nazianzus. These are some of the fathers that you need to become familiar with, and don't be afraid of them. They aren't hard to read. In fact, if you'll get St. Athanasius' little book, it's about that thick. It's a paperback book published by St. Vladimir's Press called On the Incarnation. I promise you, everyone in this room can read it with great profit. In fact, about half the book is an introduction by C.S. Lewis. And it's a beautiful introduction, but one of the things he says in that, in that introduction, he says, most of us go around reading introductions To theology and introductions to what the fathers wrote instead of reading what the fathers wrote. He says, if you do not have time to read what I have written and what St. Athanasius has written, stop reading what I have written and go read what St. Athanasius wrote. And then he makes this statement in his introduction. He says, if I were stranded on a South Sea island and could have only two books, I would want the books to be my Bible, and on the Incarnation by St. Athanasius. Now that's a tremendous recommendation coming from a man like uh, C.S. Lewis on St. Athanasius. It's a tremendous recommendation for that book. If you haven't read it, buy a copy and read it. Beautiful, beautiful work on the Incarnation. He wrote it when he was 22 years old. And it stood the test of time. And so we must, if we're going to reach North America with the orthodox faith, we must grasp the message. And then if we're going to reach North America with the orthodox faith, we must possess deep motivations. And I talked about that yesterday morning. So I said to you, I'm not saying anything fresh. I'm just trying to recap some of the things we've talked about. Brothers and sisters, we have got to be men and women who believe that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above what we could ask or think and that he can give us the power and the grace and the strength to do what we've got to do if this country is going to know about the orthodox faith. It's going to take a lot of sacrifice, a lot of effort, a lot of work. We must be people of faith, believe that God loves this country, that he wants the orthodox faith to be proclaimed, from the highest hilltops of this country and of all of North America. We must have faith that the Holy Spirit is at work, both within orthodoxy and without. And there are multitudes of people whose hearts are already prepared. Some of you, maybe most of you, have read the the little uh, statement of faith or life testimony of of Russ Sorensen, the uh, Lutheran minister, who wrote, I think it was in the last edition, was it? Anyway, recently. And he was a Lutheran pastor in Atlantic, Iowa. I had nothing whatsoever to do with this, but, but this man, uh, through another man, who another Lutheran pastor, who actually, through Father John Morris, had, had uh, made contact with Orthodoxy and begun to inquire. And Father John had written to him, and they began to investigate the Orthodox faith his name is joseph bragg and uh, joseph has quite a history he's an interesting man and he his best friend is russ Sorensen, who wrote this article for again magazine and here is a man who had everything going for him in the lutheran church he has a lovely wife he has four beautiful children he'd been in this church for nine years it was growing uh, he, he was successful in every way that you could gauge success in the ministry and he packed all of it in loaded up his kids uh, Joseph Bragg had moved uh, into our little community back in, in November at Thanksgiving and he moved the day after Western Easter this year packed up and moved with no promise of any support. We didn't promise anything, and we don't give them anything. Uh, And came giving all of that up so that he could learn. Metropolitan Philip had told them that they needed to go to some community somewhere, and the reason Joseph came to our area is he had relatives in our area in Nashville, and that seemed to be a good place for him to come, and Russ simply followed him there. So We've been the beneficiaries with, through no uh, merit on our own. But I share this with you because the Holy Spirit had done that. It wasn't something that man did. God used a few letters from John Morris and a few letters from me, but, but that was not really what happened. It was the Holy Spirit who prepared their hearts to become Orthodox. We need to believe that the Spirit of God is at work. We must allow... Not only faith to fill our lives, but we must allow love to fill our lives. The love of God that will that will drive us to reach out to everyone. The Mr. Freds that Father Peter told about today, and I always get teary-eyed when he talks about Mr. Fred. Uh, I I've sat with him and Mr. Fred on several occasions there on the porch and just sort of Do nothing but talk a little bit and make a few remarks. Mr. Fred was really an inspiration to a lot of people after he gave his heart to Christ. We need to be the people who care and love for the, uh, have love for the factory workers, the office workers, the rich and the powerful, the poor and the downtrodden. All people must be loved by us if we are filled with God's love. And then we must not only have that, those two motives, the motives of faith and love, but we must also have the motive of courage. It's going to take courage to do what God's called us to do. Don't be intimidated by opposition and hindrances. Keep on going. Uh, You know the old cliche, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Let's keep on. Let's prove that God is tough and he's going to make us tough for the work. And then to reach North America for the Orthodox faith, we must have sufficient manpower. I hope you've signed up. I, I, I'd kind of feel badly if we aren't signed up to be a team and you know something I want to say this, and I think I can speak for Fa, Father Peter on this, though that he is the director for the Antiochian uh, Archdiocese for uh, missions and evangelism and Father Peter and Father John is director of the campus ministry. I know their hearts. And maybe we we may not have always been careful to say this this weekend, but we really have pan-Orthodox hearts. I tell you, as far as I'm concerned, I'm an Orthodox Christian. That's how I feel. And and I, I say this to you, brothers and sisters who are not in the Antiochian Archdiocese, my, my prayer is that whatever we're doing here will grow and grow and grow until there will be such a grassroots movement of genuine pan-orthodoxy, genuine cross-jurisdictional cooperation, fellowship, and working together that, uh, I say this lovingly, Father John, <laughs> that our bishops will have to get the message <laughs> and get their act together and get the whole show together. And I believe it can happen. I believe it can happen. I believe somehow, and I I frankly don't know how to figure it out, to be honest with you. The longer we've been orthodox, the more complex we see this thing is. There, There is not a simple, easy, quick solution to it. But I believe God wants a unity in orthodoxy that Father John was preaching about today that will astonish the world. We do have unity in theology and worship. Now we need unity in administrative affairs so that we can reach this country and the world with our blessed faith. And so we must pray daily for one another. Let's not forget to do that. Use the list that's been made up and put it with your prayer list and the people you pray for. Let's pray for a great host of harvesters who will become members of teams who will one day be going into parishes and missions all over this land and presenting the holy orthodox faith. And so, we have come to the close of this blessed time together with a lot of joy, a lot of anticipation, a lot of expectation. Let's expect God to do mighty things. This past July when I was at the Midwestern Parish Life Conference, uh, it was necessary for me to speak to Metropolitan Philip on Thursday night about the Kerygma group who had come there to do some singing and so forth. And I went up and spoke to him just before he was to go in for a banquet. And he said to me, he said, Father Gordon, he says, I'm very tired. He said, maybe you should prepare to preach on Sunday. (laughs) Uh, I think he's really gotten converted because the first uh, time that I saw him pull this thing, uh, Father Peter, he was at our church to chrismate us and ordain us, and the gospel had just begun to be read, and the bishop, uh, the, the Archbishop turned to Father Peter and said, Peter, you preach. <laughs> and Father Peter had all of about 25 seconds to get ready to preach. I at least had from Thursday night to Sunday morning, which is just a whole huge amount of time. And so... I said to him, I'd be happy to do that for him. And uh, so on Saturday night, since he'd been a little bit tentative about it, he was uh, holding the cross for us to come and venerate. And I said to him, "Said, do you still want me to preach in the morning? And he said, oh, yes, and give it to him, he said. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that's like saying sick him to a dog to a country preacher, too, I'll tell you. <laughs> Well, anyway, I feel that that's rung in my ears ever since he said that. Brothers and sisters, God has spoken to us. We've learned more than we can do anything with for a while. Let's go out and give it to them. Let's take the orthodox faith for this North American time.